welcome to this episode of Catchy Knowledge, where we want more than just fishing knowledge, we want catching knowledge. During this episode, we get to learn from Annie Norton from Washington. My mom's cousin Amy and her husband Hoken are responsible for connecting me to Andy. He has also traveled to a lot of incredible places like Little Cayman Islands, where he met Amy and Hoken. Andy will fish for bass where he lives in Washington, but he'd rather be in the ocean fishing for bonefish, tarpon, and permit. It was really fun listening and learning from Andy. I think you will agree. Today, I'd like to welcome Mr. Andy Norton to Catching Knowledge. Andy sounds like he has had some unique fishing experiences, and I'm excited to talk with him. Thanks for joining us today, Andy. Thank you, but I want to start by saying you called me Mr. Andy Norton, and Mr. Norton is my brother. You can call me Andy. Well, Andy it is. Let's get started. I've visited quite a few states, but I haven't been in the Northwest. Can you describe where you live? I live in a little town called Woodenville in Washington State. It's northeast of Seattle, and it's just how you hear about Seattle. Pretty gray, wet winters, but we have nice summers here. I don't let the rain bother me. I fish all year. How and where did you start fishing? It's just a wonderful neighborhood, and my parents lived on this lake for five years before I was born. I moved away for a while when I moved to a ski area in Lake Tahoe, but I was really glad to get back, and I live on that same lake. I'm sort of an elder in the community, but I have several friends that have lived here longer than me. I've known probably a third of the people my entire life. It's just a great little community, and it's a bonus that the fishing is good here. On the lake where you grew up by, did you fish with your dad or your brothers, etc.? My dad died in a plane crash when I was six years old. I fished with him a little. I have some very faint memories of that. He gave me a good start, and I really think he got me to realize that life is short and you have to pursue the things you want to do. So I fished with my brothers and I fished with my buddies and, uh, and my mom loved to fish too. So I fished with her a little bit, but she got very busy after my dad passed away. What kinds of fish do you fish for? I fish for the local fish, but the things I really like to fish for are bonefish, tarpon, and permit. And you catch those in the tropics. Can you describe the local fishing? Oh, sure. So the lake I live on is a little bass lake. I fished it my whole life. I don't remember beginning fishing. I just, uh, as long as I remember, I fished. And I got into fly fishing probably 25 years ago. And now I primarily fly fish, but I do a little rubber worming in the spring because that's so productive. We have crappie and perch and bluegill. We started planting trout maybe 30 years ago. That's made our fishery a year-round fishery, which I really like. Could you describe some of the nearshore saltwater species you fish for? The one that I fish for the most is certainly the one that there's most of in the world, and that's a bonefish, and it's very popular with fly fishermen. Your last episode eight, I think his name was Rob, he talked about how finicky the trout were. Do you remember how he said you really had to get the right fly floating over the fish? Uh Bonefish bonefish aren't as finicky. If you don't scare them when you get the cast out and they don't see you before they see the fly, they generally eat. They're good eaters. So you can catch a lot of them if you're good at this. And of course, the skill helps to be good at the fly casting. 
So there's bonefish, catch a lot of those. Then there's tarpon, and tarpon are a little bit deeper water, but it's interesting to note that tarpon is still a baby when it's 80 pounds. How does that sound? That's crazy. It's still an adolescent when it's under 80 pounds. And I have never even cast to an adult tarpon. The 10 pounders, the 12 pounders, the six pounders, they just behave like a two-year-old. I don't know. Do you have a little brother or do you have a buddy who's got a two-year-old brother that just can't be tamed? More or less, yes. I've never seen a fish put up such a fuss. They jump all over the place and it's just crazy. And a decent size one, like a 20 or 30 pound one, will start to actually beat you up. It's hard work. There are injuries involved if you're not doing everything right. They're just so strong. It almost feels like they're going to pull your shoulder socket out. And that's pretty fun, actually, as you get stronger and you do the right things and don't let them do that to you. It's, it's pretty exciting. And they're good eaters too. They, they're not finicky like trout. Then there's permit, the last one. Permit is a super finicky eater. And actually, a lot of people think it's the hardest fish in the world to get to eat your fly. I've cast a lot of those and I've caught a few. I've actually caught three. I remember them all like it was yesterday because it's pretty exciting to catch that fish. So permit are not caught that often. No, no. I understand that if you hook up a live crab and can get it out of the fish, they'll eat right away. But yeah, it's a very special thing to catch a permit. I spent a week with a buddy of mine in Honduras and we fished hard for the entire week and we caught one fish. It was tough. That's a tough fish to catch. What makes the permit finicky? If you look really closely at a picture of them, you'll see they've got a big eye and a big nostril. You can see the nose hole in the front of their face. I think they must take a sniff at it. And of course, with fly fishing, it doesn't smell good. So they've got to really believe that the crab fly that you've tied or bought, they've got to really believe that's a crab to eat. And often they don't. I've had more of those fish swim up, tip down on it. By the way, you're in maybe two or three feet of water. You see them tip up and take a good look at it. And you think, just open your mouth. Just eat that thing and I'll be very happy. And then they swim away. And it's very frustrating fish. Kind of like the trout. What setup do you use for the rods for those free fish? Seven or eight weight is what people usually use for bonefish. I prefer a seven weight. I don't know, maybe because I'm a kind of a strong caster, I don't need that extra oomph. Maybe a eight or 10 weight for permit. And for tarpon, depending upon where you're fishing, I go from eight in the small pond that I hope you someday get on, on Little Cayman Island. But then if you go out into the ocean, I'm usually looking at a 12 weight and that's a pretty beefy rod. You mentioned going out into the ocean. Do you wait or do you use a boat? Your average guy going bone fishing is probably hired a, a guide, a local guy who knows the waters, and they're in a skiff, which is a very shallow draft boat, meaning it can travel in very shallow water. And he's pushing with a pole instead of motoring the boat, even though it often has a big motor on it. The guide is looking for fish and you're up in front looking for a fish. And when you see one, you try to get your cast down in front of that fish and get it to eat. Sometimes you get out and walk. I like to do it myself because I've been doing this for uh, almost 20 years now. My favorite way to do it is on a stand-up paddleboard. I've got a blow-up stand-up paddleboard that I have taken to Honduras, Little Cayman Island, a couple of the Bahama Islands. I like fishing, sort of pushing myself around fishing out of a stand-up paddleboard. 
favorite type. Have you ever gone deep sea fishing? I have, and I do it occasionally, but personally, I think you can tell that all of these fish that I've been talking about, I'm presenting kind of to one fish or a school of fish, meaning I'm making a cast on a fish I already see. Like a bonefish can be in four inches of water. When they're in that little water, a barracuda can't come in and eat them, so they get very comfortable. But all of those fish, when I cast to them, I've already seen them before I make my presentation. Four inches of water? Yeah, uh, I could send you a picture. One time, my ankle bone is out of the water, and I've got a bonefish I just hooked on. They're rooting around in there looking for little crabs and shrimps and worm-type things. They just like it in there. But they're skittish. If you throw your line over the top of them, you'll never see that fish again. It'll leave in a hurry. Four inches? That's crazy. I'll send you a picture. And it's clear. I mean, you can tell this is a big fish. You can choose if there are two fish coming your way. The one to the right is a bigger fish than the one to the left. You can see that well. I have lures that are probably bigger than four inches. Sure. I do too. Yeah. That's kind of the most extreme in bone fishing. We call it skinny water. I love doing it. You have to lay your cast down really softly. If it hits hard, the fish will feel that through the water and leave. And they leave in a hurry. They're gone. What's your favorite fly for those free species you were talking about? Let me just go in order. There is a fly called a mako fly that was designed by a guide in the Bahamas. His name was Mako, M-E-K-O. I've never met him. It's a great fly. Sort of looks like a shrimp, but the bonefish love it. And I've added some eyes that kind of make it a little bit more weed guardy. I tie my own flies. That's what I use often. But there's also crab flies, little crab imitations and little shrimp imitations that I use. Then there's a fly called a toad, and it looks nothing like the frog or the toad you're thinking of for bass fishing. And it comes in different colors, and a lot of fish will eat it, but tarpon really like that fly. And then if you're permit fishing, you're pretty much stuck with crab imitations. That's the only thing permit eat. You really need to be fishing with a crab, maybe a shrimp. Are there any tricks or techniques you like to use when fishing? Well, I think one thing that's really important is to really be involved in your surroundings. Really watch and listen because there's a lot of clues about where the fish might be. And I'm talking about wherever you're fishing. It doesn't have to be out on the ocean. Really be in tune to what's going on. Look for changes that might indicate the fish is going to be in there. Like when I'm trout fishing, sometimes I'll turn to my left. I wasn't looking that way, but I see the end of that fish rise because I'm really focused. I guess that's one of my favorite words, whether I'm playing volleyball or fishing or, you know, working or doing my homework. Just focus. Be there, you know? Uh-huh. Do you have any advice for me as a young fisherman? Yes, I've been thinking about this. It's a great question you ask. Let me ask you this. Are you a good knot tire? Um, more or less, yes. I think that that would help you get to be a good knot tire. You don't need a lot of knots, but learn a few knots that you're going to need, and you can practice them right there in your room. Get it so that you can really tie that knot. Even when the light is poor, just be a strong knot tire because there's almost nothing more frustrating than having that big fish bite and have your knot fail. And I've done it, and it's kind of an embarrassing moment. But the other thing I wanted to say is when you're fishing with someone who you respect, what I mean by respect there is they catch fish, watch them, see what they do. Kind of as soon as you get out of the car, the way they prepare, the way they cast, 
the way they hold the rod, set the hook. It's very easy to want to look at the fish as he's jumping or as he's fighting. But if you watch a skilled fisherman, you're going to learn a lot. And you've got those people in your life. I've already heard from them. That's my advice there. Ken Coolis, a guy in a first episode. I'm new to baitcasters. I learned how to hold a baitcaster properly by watching him. You bet. Baitcasters and me, I just make a mess every time. I'm pretty good with a spinning rod. Not really good because I mostly fly fish. But boy, if you want to see a rank amateur, give me a baitcasting rod. It's a mess. What knots are your favorite? I have two knots that I use to attach my fly to my leader or even my rubber worm hook to my leader or what spinner. One is the improved clinch knot, and that's a very easy knot, and I'm pretty sure you know how to tie that. Both are my favorite. Yeah, and then there's another one that I think people call it a non-slip loop knot, but I've always known it as a Rapala knot. I don't know if it's still like this, but you open up the little package when you buy the lure and you get a little tiny set of instructions. And one of the things in the instructions is how to tie that knot. I'm sure if you Googled Rapala knot, loop knot, you'd find it. But that's a very strong knot. I use it whenever I want my lure to move smoothly through the water because since it didn't cinch down on the eye of the hook, it kind of travels better through the water. Maybe it looks a little bit more lifelike. Do you have a favorite fishing story or experience? I want to tell you two, if that's okay. Is that all right? Oh, yeah. I have a very good buddy who grew up just down the street from me and now lives in Idaho. And I went to visit him a couple summers ago. So we're casting spinner baits to bass, and I hook a northern pike. And it's not a particularly big fish, 20, 22 inches, something like that. And I've got him on and I'm reeling him in and I've had him on for a few minutes. He's taking line and I'm bringing him back and he's fighting for his life. My buddy is going to help me land the fish because they're toothy. You got to be careful of those fish. He sets his rod down and the fish comes around the side of the boat and we realize that Pat's pole is getting pulled out of the boat into the lake. And I say, Pat, your pole, he grabs it, lifts it up. It's the same fish. And it's not that he got snagged as he went by. It's in his mouth. This fish, I'd had him on for minutes. He ate Pat's spinnerbait. I could not believe it. The pike ate both baits? I just had no idea a fish could be that hungry. Then I'm going to tell you a story about my buddy from Tahoe. We float the John Day River, which is a very good smallmouth bass fishery. We were fishing for smallmouth bass, and it was a slow part of the river. I saw a bass jump up onto the bank to try to catch a bird. I happened to be looking when I saw it, and I was amazed. So I thought, well, I'm going to cover that, which means I'm going to throw it up where that bird was and see if the bass will eat. I'm being straight with you. Maybe it's eight or 10 inches up the bank, and I threw it up the bank, and a bass ate it on dry land, and I caught that fish. Wow. It was incredible. I wouldn't have believed it if I didn't see it myself. It was amazing. But there's a lot of fish in the John Day River. Pretty much every good cast ends up with a bite. They just jump it so fast. I don't know. You've probably been to a bluegill pond that's like that. As soon as it hits the water, you've got one. It's that same sort of thing. Yeah. My mom's cousin, Amy, and her husband, Hoken, you know them. How did you come to know them? 
I was fishing on Little Cayman Island. We were at a restaurant, my wife and I, and I noticed that he had a Seattle hat on for our football team, the Seahawks. We started talking and we realized that we were from the same small town northeast of Seattle. And it's such a small island, Little Cayman Island. It's 10 miles long and a mile wide. If you're anywhere on the island out on the road, you see the other people on the island. He kept seeing my car parked in these weird spots where nobody else would pull over. And I'd be pulled over and I'd either be launching my paddleboard or leave my paddleboard and walk in or whatever. But he kept stopping and dropping in on me, just happy to have somebody from Woodenville to talk to. And he was interested in fishing. And so we started to talk about it and I started to train him. And if it wasn't for COVID, I think he'd have visited our lake here and I would have showed him how to fly fish and I would have sent him back to Little Cayman where he is now with some equipment and maybe he'd be catching bonefish right now. If you could go anywhere in the world, what would your dream catch be? My dream catch would be to go to Bolivia and catch a golden dorado, which is a freshwater fish. Doesn't really look like anything else but it kind of behaves like a tarpon. And I've had a buddy who's done it and I had an opportunity to go with him. And I'm pretty disappointed that I didn't take that opportunity. So I think that would be where I'd like to go. Yeah, I've heard things about this golden Dorado, that they turn your wooden plugs into sawdust. Yes, I mean, that's really fun. I would really like to get some of that for sure. Here are some rapid fire questions. We should be quick. Spin fishing or fly fishing? Oh, fly fishing all the way. What do you like better, to tie your own flies or buy flies? I usually buy flies if I feel like they're up to the job I want. So I only tie the ones I can't buy in the store or the ones I need to have special things like weed guards or be altered or bigger or smaller or way less. But I think when I retire, I'll probably go back to tying all my own flies like I used to. I'm just too busy. Bonefish or tarpon? Oh, oh, bonefish. Is that to eat or is that just to catch? That is just to catch. I ate one one time. I was on Little Cayman. It was a couple of trips ago and I caught a bonefish and, you know, they're tired at the end of a fight and I let them go. I saw some disturbance after I had let the fish go. And it was really a crazy disturbance. I tried to cover it to cast it. Remember, I said covering it, see if I could get something to bite. And I couldn't get anything. And I just walked over. It was only a foot of water. And there was a small shark that had chased my bonefish down and bit its tail off. And so the fish wasn't going to live. I took the fish and I cleaned it. And in fact, bonefish really do have more bones in their meat. Do you ever fillet your own fish? Um, yes. So, you know, there's that kind of set of bones that radiate up from the spine, you know, through the middle of the meat. You know what I'm talking about? Those bones that get in your way there? Yeah, trout have those. Exactly. It's the same thing, you know, a salmon, a trout, any of those fish. Well, the bonefish actually have another set of those that go down below. So they are, in fact, way more bony than your average fish. Since I'd cleaned it, I thought I'd eat it and it tasted fine and nothing special. I'd just rather catch them because, boy, they're very fast and so fun to catch. What is your favorite fish to eat? I got to say crappie. We have crappie in our lake, and if you can find one, you can find hundreds. You shared a lot of catchy knowledge with us today. Is there anything you'd like to say before you leave? Yeah, I want to point out there's so much more to a fishing trip 
than just catching fish, whether it's just a few hours at your closest pond or a trip across the globe. Specifically, friends you get to spend time with, and when you're traveling, cultures you learn about and people you meet, some of them even become your friends. But also, just to get out in nature and, and get away from your screens and homework, just breathe the fresh air. Fishing is just a great thing, and I know you know that. And uh, I think the very best thing you can do, it's exactly what you're doing. Being open to new ideas, learning from other people, asking questions, broadening your understanding of fishing. You're finding out about all kinds of different fishing with this podcast. Who knows what kind of fisherman you'll grow up to be, but because you're getting all of this input, you're going to get to choose, and that's just awesome. Thanks for coming on today. Oh, you bet. Thanks for having me on. I really enjoyed it. I will continue to follow. That's all for this episode of Catching Knowledge. Thanks for listening. Make sure to subscribe and tell your friends. A big thanks to Andy for coming on today. Also, I'd like to thank Amy and Hoken for helping me contact Andy. Join us next time when we will get more than just fishy knowledge, we'll get catchy knowledge.